Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. We understand Old Testament and light of New Testament. Things such as you have enemies in the Old Testament. The New Testament teaches us we don't fight flesh and blood. People aren't our enemies. But we do still have an enemy. And as much as I, I teach a lot out of the New Testament, there's some beauty in the Old Testament. I enjoy it. And today, because we're still doing Joshua, but you're going to get a lot of stories in the Old Testament. Uh, I've been dealing with some confusion. Actually, I'm going to get rid of this, this today because I'm not going to need it. I've been dealing with some confusion. Anybody else deal with some confusion? Confusion over the fact that, okay, God, why are you doing what you're doing? And lately, a lot of it for me has been, God, why aren't you seeming to do anything that I believe you promised you're doing? And at the same time, I'm reading Joshua, because that's what we're in, and going, Lord, in all this confusion, I can't even figure out what in the world am I reading this book for, other than the fact that it's where the message is. And I fought this message. I fought this message all week. I fought this message at five this morning. Um, but I believe I have clarity. I'm just trusting you that really right now, trust the Holy Spirit, bring you clarity, because I'm going to share with you what speaks to me out of it. So I'm just going to trust that what God feeds me will feed others. So I'm going to say this is interesting details, some crazy stories and contradictions of warriors of peace. And even that concept, a warrior of peace. Um, I actually have to start with some background about Joseph. So Jacob had 12 sons. You know that, right? Okay. Of his sons, well, can we just be blunt? First of all, the patriarchs are not models of good fathership. Okay. I mean, there's a lot wrong with them. And one of the hassles with Jacob is he definitely favored Rachel one one of his wives, over Leah, the other. And then Rachel herself only gave birth to two of the sons. And that were, they were Joseph and then his youngest son, Benjamin. Because of that, he favored Joseph and Benjamin. And he was not even subtle about it. And then Joseph has these dreams that we're familiar with about being a leader in that. So his brothers are really resentful. All right, so 10 of them, because Benjamin's actually younger. When Joseph's 17, the brothers basically try to do him in. And Reuben tries to rescue him and says, look, just throw the kid in a pit, and we'll figure out later what to do, planning to go back later and rescue him. But Judah, and that's what I talk about today, because Judah and Benjamin are the main tribes I'm going to talk about today. Judah, when all these... these uh, what you call them, business people tra traveling through, their caravan travels through, Judah gets the brainstorm, hey, what good would it do us to kill our brother? We could sell him for a profit. So Judah sells Joseph into slavery. All the brothers do it, but it's Judah's idea, and the Reuben's freaked out when he comes back and finds out they did it, and then they have to do the whole thing of killing an animal, showing blood on a garment, conning their father. We're familiar with this? And Joseph sold into slavery. And we know a lot of the story I'm not going to go into, but I do find it interesting that God has the Bible written where the story of Joseph starts 
And then kind of right in the middle, it just stops. And then we get these weird chapters. So now we're talking Genesis 37. With the story of Tamar and Judah. And it is a bizarre story. Like, not shocked that these stories happen in old times. Well, why do you bother recording this, God? Because <clears throat> Judah has a son, Ur, and wants to find a wife for him and finds Tamar. But Ur was evil on the side of the Lord and dies. So the whole tradition in Israel is now one of his brothers has to have relations with Tamar to raise children in his name. But the brother doesn't really want to do that, so he resists and he dies. Well, Judah has another son, and he should marry Tamar. But he says, you know what? He's kind of young. Go back to your family, and we'll work this out later. And he doesn't. So while she is back in her own family's house, she's bugged because she knows this isn't right. And I say, it's a bizarre story. So what she does is she finds out Judah. But in the meantime, Judah's wife dies. And Judah is off doing work with the sheep traveling. So she dresses up as a prostitute, seduces him. Bottom line is, they have relations together. She gets pregnant. He doesn't know it's her, which is also bizarre. But anyway, he doesn't know it's her. But she had taken, taken basically items from him in lieu of payment and then just disappeared with them. So when they find out she's pregnant, it's like, oh, no, she played the harlot. He's like, we got to kill her. And then she sends the stuff, the, the clothing item, and I think it was the, the staff or whatever. And he sends it to him and says, the father of the baby I'm carrying owned these. And then he talks about how she was more righteous than he, which is where you talk about more righteous. This, this whole thing doesn't speak of righteous, <laughs> but she was more righteous than him. So they let her live. Bizarre story. So one reason I think it's included is she ends up, she's not pregnant with one kid. She's pregnant with two. She has twins. One of them is named Perez. And if you look in Matthew and Luke, in the genealogy of Joseph and the genealogy of Mary, they mention Perez, son of Tamar. So this whole weird story happens. This whole weird situation goes on. And God still says, yep, and that's the lineage for the Savior. Okay, that's the lineage also for King David, actually, because it's, it's through Perez we get all the way to Obed and Jesse, and we get to David, again, which is the Joseph and Mary line. So even there, there's some bizarre thing, but a thing about grace. <clears throat> then after all that story, we get back to the story of Joseph. And on a fast forward where Joseph goes through the prison, all that stuff, and now he's ruler of Egypt, and there's a famine. And the Israelites, or sorry, Jacob and his sons, they need to contact Joseph. So Joseph's brothers, without Benjamin, because remember, Jacob has a favorite. His favorite was Joseph and Benjamin. He lost Joseph, and now he has just Benjamin. And he's one that says that. He, here he says to his only sons, there's times he refers to them as, I've only got one kid left. He's telling his other kids this, like Benjamin. I mean, this, this is not great fatherhood. So they go back. He won't let Benjamin go with them because he doesn't want to risk. He's very protective of Benjamin. And they meet Joseph, and there's a whole thing going on, and Joseph does not reveal himself to him, and there's a lot of games he plays. Um, he, he accuses them of being spies, and they say, well, no, we're not spies. We're all brothers of one man. Well, really, does that man live? I mean, Joseph's also trying to find information out. 
And he says, yeah. And actually, he fathered 12 sons. One son is lost. And then there's a younger son we didn't bring. Well, Joseph wants to see his brother Benjamin. He's the only full brother he has. And he hasn't seen him since Joseph was 17. And Benjamin was probably a, a kid at that time. So he says, I think you're spies. But the one way you'll prove you're not is you bring that, bring that other brother here. And basically, he ends up saying, I'm going to hang on to Simeon. So he keeps Simeon back. And they go back to see Jacob and tell him, and they've got food, but they tell him, the man says we cannot come back without Benjamin. And Simeon is in prison there. Because the last thing they saw, Simeon was actually bound up. They don't know that Joseph treated him well. He's bound up. And Jacob, out of due part for Simeon, says, no way, it's never happening. Benjamin's all I've got left. You're not taken. And Reuben intercedes. No, there's nothing. The famine goes on. What's interesting is when the famine's so bad, Judah just basically says, we're all going to die. So here's the deal. And I want to get to that. I actually forgot. I, I'm now way ahead of my slides. Sorry. <clears throat> so I'm going to back up a little bit because i, I got to catch up on my slides. <clears throat> this is when Saul's going to be appointed king. And just so I know it just now shifts weird, but we're talking about Benj the tribe of Benjamin and Judah today. The first king of Israel was a Benjaminite. Benjamin. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> okay, when he is chosen to be king, Saul's answer is, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And Benjamin was the smallest tribe. Also, in order, he was the youngest, which would be considered the least. Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me, which was he was going to be king? And really, Saul, Saul started out good because he was really humble. Later, when he lost that humility, it didn't go so well for him. Okay? But the whole idea is this whole idea that in the eyes of Israel, in the eyes of people like Saul, you couldn't get, least, couldn't get less than Benjamin. Of the tribe of Judah, now we're going to jump all the way to Revelation. One of the elders said to me, this is when he wants to open the scroll, and it says no one's worthy to open the scroll. But that's not the important part for today. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Stand in the center of the throne by this. This actually ties back to Ezekiel. The only one that can stand in front and around those creatures in the throne, that all is the, the, the vision Ezekiel had of God himself. So this is affirming that the lamb is actually deity. But it's also interesting contradiction. I saw the lamb. And who is the lamb? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's interesting. A lamb who's slain for our sins is also a lion. Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's interesting that it's, it's picked for Judah. Okay, i got to catch it to myself. So I now want to get back to the story. <clears throat> because the thing I want to tie to is how Judah ended up being the dominant tribe. How Judah ended up being the tribe of kings. So Judah said to Israel's father, this is, remember, he will not let go of Benjamin. And he says, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Basically, and it's this part of a longer conversation. He's basically saying, you're trying to say Benjamin, 
but Benjamin's going to die with the rest of us. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally be responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. And he relents, and he takes them. And it's interesting, because from this point forward, you see a change in Judah, a change in his relationship. Because when Judah goes there with Benjamin, Joseph still plays games. In fact, he eventually takes a silver chalice and has to put it on the saddlebag of Benjamin so he can claim Benjamin stole it so he can keep Benjamin with him while they go back. And and get me wrong, I mean, Joseph's an awesome guy, but he's also human. I mean, he got sold into slavery. There's some games he's playing. But it's interesting. It's not when Reuben talked to Joseph that his heart broke. It's when Judah does. Judah goes to him and says, Please, this cannot be. It will kill my dad if he doesn't get his son back. Take me in his place. I will do anything. Make me a slave. But you can't you can't do this to us. And as Judah's pleading, it says Joseph's heart melts. And that's when he sends out the Egyptians and admits who he is. His heart melts with Judah, who was the one who actually thought of the idea of selling him. And it changes from the because we even see later when Jacob, when all the people are moving and they need to come to the land of Goshen, when they need to have someone contact Joseph for directions, he doesn't send Reuben. Jacob sends Judah. Judah ends up with a relationship with Joseph. Okay? Kind of strange details, but I don't think they're coincidental. So now we're to the book of Joshua. <clears throat> I've shown this map before. In chapters 13 to 21, you have the distribution of land. In chapter 22, you have this civil war that's agreed. And I'm going to touch on that, but the main thing I want you to see is you have 12 tribes of Israel with land. And I've expressed this before. You don't see the tribe of Joseph up there or the tribe of Levite. The Levites got to be priests. They inherited no area because God said, I am their inheritance, which is interesting because we are now kings and priests, Right. So in God's eyes, we are both of Judah and of Levi. We are kings like Judah. We are priests like Levi. We don't belong to this world. We don't need to worry about inheritance because God is our inheritance. So Levi is spread throughout all the tribes. The priests are spread out and cities through all of them. Ephraim and Manasseh are on there, and they were Joseph's sons. But what happened is, in Genesis 48 and 49, you have what, what some categorize as the blessing of Joseph's, uh, sorry, the blessing of Jacob's sons. And I'll first say that's kind of weird. It's actually really the prophecy, the God, God having Jacob proclaim things over them. Because if you read them, they aren't exactly blessings, especially for the three oldest. But in that time, he actually takes Joseph's sons for his own, and he blesses Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh is the oldest, but Jacob purposely blesses Ephraim first. He speaks of favor, more favor on Ephraim, and then he speaks of amazing thing we're going to talk about with Judah, and even with Benjamin, he refers to Benjamin as a roaring wolf who gets to devour those that oppose him. Okay? So I'm zooming into that map. So you have Benjamin in the middle there, Ephraim above it, and Judah. Inside Benjamin's territory is Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting. 
David is of the tribe Judah. Jerusalem is called the city of David, right? One other town's called the city of David. What's that city? Think Christmas time. Yeah, Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is the city of David because it's where his family's from. It's where Jesse's from. It's probably where he was born. So Bethlehem is the city of David, but so is Jerusalem. The reason why is, even though Jerusalem's right there in the middle of Benjamin, all during Joshua's time, and all during the judges' time, and all during Saul's time, no one conquered Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem was in the hands of the Jebusites the whole time until David took it. And when David took it, even though he wasn't of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, they considered Jerusalem part of the tribe of Judah. Because David of Judah conquered it, and it where he centered everything. It's eventually where Solomon's, Solomon's temple's built. But prior to Solomon building his temple, if you look higher in Ephraim, you'll see right above the eye in Ephraim, it says Shiloh. I told you you're going to get a lot of history, but I think it's really important. And we'll, I, I hope you believe the same thing when I'm done. Shiloh means place of peace. Shiloh is where Joshua set up the ark. And they set up an altar. And the rule, this is actually part of the, the civil war I talked about in chapter 22. They, that it was proclaimed by God, the only place you will do your sacrifices is on the altar before the ark in Shiloh. Because he knew if they set up altars other places, they would start worshiping other gods with them. In fact, what happens in chapter 22 is when Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that are east of the river, when they go back to their homes, they set up an altar near the Jordan River. And the Israelites rally the troops to go crush them. Because they were going to have civil war works. They said, if you do this thing, just like what happened at AI, we will start getting cursed by God because of your sin. And they're going to have civil war. Um, it worked. I mean, what it shows you is we have to not assume too much because they were assuming they made an altar for sacrifice. Fortunately, when they all get together, the leaders from Reuben and Gad and half the tribe Manasseh, they get together and say, this is not an altar for sacrifice. This is a mark of remembrance. Because we're afraid in the future, you will say, you guys who are east of the river, you have no part in Yahweh. So the whole purpose of this is to remind us and have a mark between you and us that you cannot keep us from worshiping God in Shiloh. Okay? I just think that's interesting history that they almost had a civil war over a misunderstanding. Okay, the point is, <clears throat> in the city of peace, in Shiloh, that is the place where you do your worship. I don't know if you guys have heard old hymns. There's often old hymns that refers to when Shiloh comes. There are places where the Lord is referred to as Shiloh. So why, why is that Shiloh, the place of peace, associated with Jesus? I'm glad you have that question in your mind. <clears throat> so, again, we're talking about how Benjamin is right there. I'm going to back up to it. In fact, I'll say this part now. Benjamin, uh, in, in Joshua 18, when they do the meeting at Shiloh, that's when they start dividing the rest of the land out. Like this is this is where they do the division of the tribes that haven't taken their land, what land they're going to get. And the first one who gets a lot, the first lot fell on Benjamin, and Benjamin ends up right next to Judah. And I find it interesting because when Judah, when the kingdoms were separated, 
Judah was the kingdom that survived. The Israelites were first taken away. So basically you had 10 tribes go with the northern tribes, and they were taken away, and we don't hear of them again in Scripture. Judah eventually is also taken away, but when the kingdom of Judah is taken away, they are also brought back after the 70 years. The interesting thing is the only tribe with Judah, besides the few Levites with them, gets to be Benjamin. And I find it interesting that Judah's promise was, I will take care of my little brother Benjamin. And to that, to the day of even the getting restored, big brother Judah took care of little Benjamin. So as I said before, you have these, it's some, some uh, most Bibles say it's the blessings of Jacob. They're not really blessings. Okay, especially if you were Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, the three oldest brothers, you would not call that a blessing at all. He proclaims what's going to happen to him, and none of it is good. This makes Judah, who's the fourth brother, actually ends up the significant brother. And I told you before about, this is also in chapter 48, is where Ephraim is placed over Manasseh. So I'm going to read this in the NIV first. This is his proclamation. This is Jacob just before he dies proclaiming over Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. So he's prophesying he's, this tribe is going to be preeminent. Israel at this time does not have kings and never planned on it. Okay? Kings came way later, came after, after, after Jacob, after even Joshua, even after the judges. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. This is where we get the lion of Judah. Okay, because Judah does not mean lion. Judah means praise. So the word for Judah refers to, I am praising, because um, when Judah was born, Leah, the mother, proclaimed, his name is praise because I'm praising Yahweh. I've been given a son. So now maybe my husband will love me. But that's another story. <clears throat> you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter, this is interesting. The scepter is mark of a king. There were no kings in Israel when this was prophesied. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he who it to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will, need, he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the chosen branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. I don't have time for that. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk, which the last part, that, that was a mark of affluence. Okay? Interesting part about the robe and blood of grapes, but we've got to move on. This is a version, the NASB is closer to a literal version. So it's in the gold back here. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff in between his feet, until he who comes, I'm sorry, until he to whom it belongs shall come. So to he to the scepter really belongs will come, to the obedience and the obedience of all nations will be his. Closer to literal, it's this. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff in between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him, and actually in the original Greek, the word Shiloh is twice, that to him it's Shiloh again. And to him, Shiloh shall be the obedience of the peoples. 
Interesting because Shiloh, that form of the word, is now it's the form of the word appealing to, referring to a person. Okay? In all of the Bible, you know where that appears? Just here. Shiloh was a place of peace. Everywhere else in Scripture refers to the place of peace, the place where worship had to happen. It was the place where the only place they were allowed to worship until Solomon built his temple, except for this one place. And now it's a version of Shiloh that refers to a person. The place of peace is a person. <clears throat> the way commentators put it, Shiloh can be translated as he whose it is, which is what the NME does, also can mean the one who brings peace or the one whose reign brings peace. I find it interesting. So this is the stuff I trip out on Old Testament, so you have to bear with it. But when I'm reading through this stuff, and I'm reading 18, and I read about how they're at Shiloh, and about Benjamin, and about Judah, I can't help but think, it's interesting, he, they put Benjamin right next to Judah, because Judah promised he'd take care of him. And Judah is the tribe that is chosen to be the king. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.